morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff, episode number 51. And I am back with Mr. Tony Viss, fresh off of vacation from Nash, Vegas. Mr. Viss, give us a 30-second Yelp review of Nash, Vegas. Nash, Vegas was impressive. Um, we did the hop-on, hop-off tour. I cannot uh, recommend that enough. Uh, if you get on that, recommend your your uh, conductor. I believe they call themselves as Dre. Dre was fantastic. Uh, we went uh, to a variety of places, you know, Centennial Park. Uh, we did the pedestrian bridge. Uh, we did Music Row, which, I mean, they look like regular houses where mm-hmm. some of the greatest country hits of all time have been recorded. Um, but, yeah, it was it was awesome. Got to see a former student of mine perform on one of the Honky Tonks on Broadway there. That was a lot of fun as well. Really appreciate him. Dallas Jacobus is his name. Hopefully, uh, in a year or two, we'll be talking about him as a rising country star. But his band was was very impressive. Uh, the, the place that we stayed at in Franklin, Tennessee, was phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say if you have never been to Nash Vegas before, it is definitely worth the time. Well, it sounds like you had a great time, but I'm excited that you're back and ready to roll again with the coaching staff, buddy. I am ready to go. Uh, it's been over a week since we've talked, so yeah. that's it's been one of the nice things about this is being able to being able to catch up with each other weekly. So yeah, I'm ready to yeah. ready to go and talk about. One of the key things, I think, and that's getting your your team, uh, the members of your team, to buy into their roles. Yeah. Did you miss me, Tony? I did. You know, I got sent you the picture of Arby's, so <laughs> yes. that, was, that was good. That was funny. That was funny. I appreciated that. So that, that, that made me giggle aloud. So that was good. I miss you too, bud. I'm, I'm glad we're, we're back here. I've got eight uniform numbers. None of them basketball players. I was surprised. Hardly any 50s, but the 51s were just jumping off of the interwebs. Um, oh, man. I got three linebackers. Well, obviously, the last time we did this, I screwed up and said Dick Buck is at 50, but he yeah. is 51. Yep. Um, the other two linebackers I'm going to struggle with. I'll go with Jack Lambert. Nope. Or was he 52? I have no idea who Jack. Uh, okay. Yeah, he is probably fifty-two. Okay, um, I'll go another Jack on the the Steeler linebacker, Jack Ham. Nope. No. Crap. Uh, Junior Seau. Nope. Man, I am on the struggle bus. I'm I'm okay. stumped. Uh, Sam Mills that played linebacker oh, for, for the, the Saints. Saints yeah. Yes, and the Panthers. Yep. And then Brian Cox. Ah, Play for a variety yeah, of different teams. Yep, yep, yep. Most notably, probably with the Dolphins. Yep. And then I've got five baseball players, uh, two pitchers, Hall of Fame starter, Hall of, Hall of Fame reliever, and then three outfielders. Man, um, for some reason, I'm thinking Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams is one of them. Okay, I was kind of out of thin air on that one. Um, reliever and a starter. What the, the the both all time greats? Okay. One was most notably with one team. The 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 closer was with one team his whole career. Pretty would much. Be Bruce Suter, would it? Nope. He was Cardinals and Cubs. Uh, I was well, I was and, with the Cubs too. Yeah. Huh? Um. 
Shoot. I think when he retired, he was the all-time Trevor safe. Hoffman? Trevor Hoffman, there it is. Well done. Uh, perhaps the best left-handed pitcher of all time. Who? Steve Carlton? No. Nope. nope no. Nope, nope. Um. Lefty. I, I think he's like third or fourth all-time in strikeouts. Oh, Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. There you go. Um, the you got two outfielders left. Um, one of them. Uh, his second language was English because he was from not the United States, but not from Latin America. Hmm. He might be baseball's all-time leader in hits professionally if you combine his first oh, Ichiro? career. Ichiro, yes. Ichiro. And then the now, other I one... I saw a thing the other day. I don't know. He's in his 40s. Had his uniform on, obviously retired, and his threw the first pitch and was like ninety three point six miles per hour. Oh, he's a freak! Yeah, absolute Incredible. freak. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, but yeah, I think he ended up like with like forty six hundred hits altogether oh, between God. Major League Baseball and the Japanese League, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then our last guy, uh, being children of the eighties, Tony. Um, Probably, perhaps, a switch hitter with perhaps the most uh, popular, uh, the most popular batting stance imitated by every kid ever when playing wiffle ball. Not Gary Southfield, is it? Nope. I know he was a switch nope. hitter, though. And that switch hitter. Yeah, he he had the very distinct stance, but. Switch hitter, imitated. Most notably, no, most notably played for the Red Menace of St. Louis. Willie McGee? Willie McGee. There it is, my friend. Willie McGee. 1985 National League MVP. So, yeah, him and Vince Coleman had the Cardinals in their heyday. Yeah. Uh, they were flying around, man. Flying around. So... Um, all right, well, let's dive into role definition here, Tony. Um, I, I, I could go ahead and start here, if you'd like. Um, I, I think what we emphasize, I've got four big bullet points with our roles and what we do within our program. And I think, for me, this is close to the top of the list of things that I think you need to establish year in and year out. Uh, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I think if you don't have clearly defined roles, then it's tough for your team to really succeed at the level that you would like for them to succeed at. For us, we use a, a four-word phrase, no, accept, embrace, and excel. Now, that last one, I used to say no, accept, embrace, and fulfill your role, but I, you know, I, I changed it a couple of years ago, uh, a few years ago, to excel. Like we want you to excel at role. We just don't want you to do okay at your role. We want you to be the best you could possibly be at your role. So, as a coach, your job is for your players to know their role, and you have to clearly state. And sometimes it's a tough conversation. You know that just as well as I do, Tony. It's a tough conversation that a player knows what their role is intended to be with the 23-24 Kennedy Cougars or Calhoun Pioneers. 
uh, at that point then, it's the player's responsibility to accept that role, to then embrace that role. I'm going to be the best whatever you've asked them to do. And then to go out onto the court and excel at that role. And that's where we begin our role definition is conversations like that. And um, it has worked for us for the most part over the years. But, you know, there's there's always things that could that could be tweaked with it. But that's where we usually start. And, and I try to not really get into role definition until after our summer has kind of played itself out. Because I want to give the kids an opportunity. If we see them in such and such role going into the summer, if a kid wants to play themselves out of that role, especially if they want to achieve something more than where we kind of have them as a coaching staff. I want to give them all the opportunity in the world to do that. I don't want them to limit themselves to a role. Let's see if they play themselves out of a role, or maybe somebody that we thought was ready for a role maybe is not so ready for a role. And and so we want to keep it as fluid for as long as we would like, and even into our early practices we kind of do that. And it's usually about the second week of practice is when we start really nailing down that role definition uh, no, accept, embrace, and excel at your role. So that's my opening shot on that one, buddy. What do, what do you got? I like the fact you use the word fluid. Um, you know, I would also throw in a word flexible uh, mm-hmm. with it. And I, I like the fact that, you know, the roles start, I mean, you start looking at defining them, figuring them out in the summer. And, you know, the one thing that I think is important is it shows those those players that are committed to being there and, and trying to compete for it. But the one thing that I also am, am cognizant of as well and have this conversation with, with our guys as well is that, hey, um, obviously there are other players that will be on our team that yep. were not here this summer. And as we get into the season, that's when we really kind of began to uh, define parameters a little bit more still in pencil. I don't know if I would say it is ever in, in concrete or, 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 you know, or permanent ink or whatever the case may be. Uh, but we want to make sure that we, you know, they understand that, Hey, summer is highly recommended, obviously not required. Yep. And when we get into that first, second, perhaps even, you know, late second, early third, maybe week of the season is where we're going to start to give a little bit more uh, description, definition, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it there as far as defining those roles. But yeah, I, I like the fluidity and flexibility of it and the fact that you still give them time to play themselves into a bigger role. And then like you mentioned, sometimes, you know, you maybe you're looking at a kid to make a jump and for whatever reason, maybe they're just not ready, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, and so you have to be be able to, to adjust as, as, as situations dictate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where where do you guys start with roles, and how do you do it? Um, we have conversations with them, you know, and the, and the one thing that we take a look at here, and a lot of times we introduce it like, you know, hey, uh, you're in music, and you wanted to be the first chair for trumpet, you know, it doesn't mean that if you're not the first chair that you're not valuable, because every role, there is no small role on this team, mm-hmm. um, but we begin to have conversations with them, and I think that's one of the things it, it maybe isn't the most comfortable thing in the world to do because there's going to be a number of them that maybe don't agree and, and want a larger role. I know I, I wanted a larger role when I played, um, you know, but my, my ability or lack thereof kind of dictated otherwise. Uh, but we have those conversations with them and we let them know that as the season goes on, because this is where we're starting at, you know, here middle, 
end of November is that, hey, you know, we'll we'll continue to examine things uh, in the month of December, and then we'll take a look at adjusting some things if we need to over Christmas break. But it's it's an ongoing thing with conversations with them as far as things go. Uh, we'll give them stat sheets. We usually uh, give them stat sheets a couple times during the year and just kind of highlight what we're seeing. Um, you know, you're taking a lot of threes here and you're shooting 20-some percent. That's, that's not a strength of yours. We need you to attack the rim or, hey, you know, you're very active in the offensive glass. We need you to keep that up. You you need to be our Dennis Rodman type role, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think one of the things that you also do, trying to keep those clear lines of communication, and um, I know I've done this before. It, it helps with that. We, we talk about, you know, we have two individual meetings with each player each year, one before the season and one after the season. And um, with our with our preseason meeting, we kind of dive into more depth with, than we do. The, you know, the, the, the end of the year meeting is more of painting with a broad brush. How did everything go? What did you think? Where did you see yourself out? When, when, we, when we narrow it down in the preseason, Tony, we talk about, uh, I have a thing on there where it says, okay, where do you see yourself at? Varsity, JV, freshman. Do you see yourself as a starter? Do you see yourself as a sub? And then, you know, how many minutes do you uh, feel like you should be playing? You know, if you see yourself out there, you know, how many minutes, not how many do you want to play, but realistically, how much should you be playing? And my better seasons chemistry-wise have usually correlated with a pretty realistic top-to-bottom uh survey in this part of it where you know we might have six kids that think that they should be a starter and you know nine nine or ten kids say that they should get varsity minutes or whatever it may be um the seasons that have not gone so well chemistry wise a lot of times start here where i remember one year tony i think i had uh 10 kids thought that they should start on the varsity and 20 of them should be on the varsity, uh, should have a varsity uniform or something like that. Uh, like, oh boy, we are, <laughs> yeah. this, this could get interesting. This could get very, and it, and it got interesting, unfortunately, for a lot of the wrong reasons. Uh, but I think when you put it in their hands and you say, all right, Tony, uh, you think that you should be a varsity starter and you should play about 26 minutes a game. Well, we as a coaching staff think that you're probably more of a varsity sub that's going to play 10 minutes a game uh, right now if we were to line this out. Now, we're not going to go into other people's minutes or anything like that, but you know, I, I think we're a little bit off as to where we're at. And I think without you coming out necessarily as the bad guy, it gives you a little bit of it gives you a little bit of uh, of a starting point for you to start this conversation with a player where they've kind of elevated their own expectation, perhaps, and maybe in, in, in a few cases they've underestimated their contribution. And you can kind of work through that, you know, taking that and, and moving forward with it. Have you ever done anything like that before, Tony? Coaches are absolutely loving our Taking Over a New Program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. 
As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. We've done similar things to it. One thing that I found to be effective kind of with the whole group, like if you you know have a group that, like you mentioned, 10 think they're starters and 20 think they should be playing type of thing, is a conversation I have with them is, okay, it's a 32-minute game, five players on the floor, 32 times five, not a math teacher, but it's 160, right? Yep. Yep, and they're with me. And so then we start to walk through, okay, let's say that, and I, I tell them, you know, starters going to play anywhere depending upon, you know, at least over half the game. If you're a starter, you probably deserve to play over half the game. So let's say that on average, all five starters play 20 minutes. So that's 100. So there's 60 minutes left out there, Okay. If we're going to play these guys and, you know, just trying to help them understand that a little bit, I think that's important. And then another thing that we try to do with our guys, it's a little bit different situation because with getting them as sophomores, we have two freshman teams. Mm -hmm. So we inherit 10 kids minimum that think that they're a starter. Yep. And if that's if we don't bring any freshmen up. And then on top of that, we have 16 kids who think they should play because both freshman teams on average are going to probably play about eight players each. And so we just kind of give them a heads up. The sophomore year is, is the most difficult because unlike your freshman, there's not two teams. Unlike freshmen, there's not a fifth quarter where the guys who didn't get in the freshman A part of the game get to play the fifth quarter of it. Yeah. And as you go up to varsity, there's the JV side of things up there. We don't have those things. And so it's it's a tough year from that standpoint. And because of that, I just maybe am a little bit more, I don't know if hypersensitive is the right word I want to use here, uh, but I want to be out ahead of it and have those conversations with them early so that they know um, kind of the, the way the game's played and what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, so so how do you how do you frame those conversations, Tony? Uh, you know, and, and I know every conversation to a degree is is different depending on the situation, the kid, the history with the kid, uh, what you expect of them. But how do you typically handle? You know, it's easy to talk to the starters, and mm-hmm. it's not quite as easy, but it's still pretty easy to talk to players six seven and maybe eight the tough conversations get into the nine ten eleven twelve area so so how do you handle those conversations where you have a kid that believes you know and you and your coaching staff have evaluated and you're like all right you know billy you're number 11 but billy thinks he's number four or number five you know somewhere along those lines yeah um one of the things that we, we try to make sure that we do, because we'll have potentially over 30 kids that'll be out for sophomore basketball. Mm-hmm. And we have 18 uniforms, and we try to make sure that we involve as many kids as we can. Sometimes some kids don't get a uniform, uh, and they, they stick the process out. Uh, they may start without a uniform, and they may earn their way to get a uniform due to you know injury or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but one of the things that I try to make sure that I do with, with all my guys is the fact that they're all valued. They're all appreciated. Mm-hmm. And depending upon, you know, I try to talk 
it, it might be little small conversations. It, it, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a 30 to minute to a, to an hour meeting with them, but I just try to have small conversations and at minimum get to talk to 10 to 15 guys during the week. It might be real quick after a practice, depending upon, you know, what time I get there or they get there before a practice, uh, road trip, um, you know, whatever the case may be, but I try to make sure that we communicate with them where we see them um, and to be to be honest with them, because I think one of the things they may not like what you're saying, but if you are upfront and honest with them, they're going to respect you because, mm-hmm. you know, they want you to be real. They want you to be truthful. They want you to be honest. And I try to be that with them and to make sure that I'm checking in with them, like I said, just to make sure that they feel valued and appreciated and that there is no small role on our team. Yeah, I, I, I come back to the phrase that uh, do you want them mad at you for 10 minutes or do you want them mad at you for three months? Yeah. And and sometimes the hard part of our job uh, when we're defining roles is having to have tough conversations, especially ki- with kids that we really, really like, Tony. And yeah. I know uh, to this day the worst the, the 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 hardest decisions I've ever had to the hardest decision I've ever had to make was we made it to the state tournament one year and Nebraska had this archaic rule that you could only suit up twelve kids and we had suited up fourteen fifteen kids all season long and and, and looking at you know now I I've changed that philosophy I'll never suit up more than fourteen kids just because I don't want to be in that situation you know that's just hard and fast rule with me but I had to make a decision and and God that was awful having to tell that that one one or two kids that they, they couldn't suit up for the state tournament. I mean, it was just awful. Uh, but I had to do what was right for the team and, and to put what we thought was the best 12 players out there to help us try and win the game. And, you know, when it comes to, to role definition, when you have to tell that 11th player that they're the 11th player and not the 4th player, yeah, they're gonna. They're probably gonna be mad. They're probably gonna be upset. Mom and dad might, you know, get you might get that that email. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have covered your bases. You have not lied to the player. Uh, you have not. And, and sometimes you just have to really be completely and brutally honest with uh with a kid, with a family, with 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 parents, and you know, it's gonna be uncomfortable for. 24 hours but better that than have them wondering what's going on first game second game third game now this kid's moping and now he's affected things like that uh you know it's just what we get paid to do we don't get paid a lot to do this and these are hard conversations that we have to have uh you know i think that you know while you're telling that kid that they're the 11th player you say hey look it's a long season we could have injuries you're going to practice every day uh if you do this and this and this, perhaps your role can increase right now. Uh, you know, later on, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to prove yourself every day. This is kind of the way we see things after practice six, seven, eight. Uh, but right now, this is kind of the way we see things here. Uh, be honest, but you know, you don't want to lead them on. But you know, you kind of follow it up with, "Hey, you know, at at the end of the day, you know, if nothing changes, this is where we kind of see things where they're going to be. And so I think while you're having that hard conversation, you do try to, if you feel like, you know, Billy, there's not a lot of difference between 
number eight and you at number 11. But right now, yeah, you're probably number 11. Uh, but you're going to, if, if you so choose, if you come in with positive energy, positive attitude, practice well, do this, do that, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But we can't make you any guarantees either. And so I, I don't think, especially with young people, that unless the kid's a real jerk, you don't really just slam the door hard on them. You will never play. You will never do this. Now, if they handle it the wrong way, and I've had that conversation before, uh, I had a I had a, a couple of parents in, in an office with their daughter and my athletic director, and I literally had to look them dead in the eye and say, all right, this is it. You are going to be in this role. You are going to be a reserve player. You will suit up for the JV, but you're probably not going to play very much in JV games, and you have hopes of playing varsity this year, I see no route for you to be on the varsity team this year. And I literally, and, you know, it, it just got to that point where they were so obstinate that I had to, to, to take it to that level where there was just literally no gray. It was completely black and white, and, you know, that player decided to, to leave the program and Quite honestly, we were probably better off without it because that was going to be an issue for the next three months. But when push comes to shove, you've got to treat it as a very black and white thing, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned brutally honest. I think maybe a better word is transparently honest. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think when you're talking about something like this, you try to be as sensitive because of how sensitive the topic is you don't want to crush them yeah and Um, that's how we started off that particular situation where we were trying to be you know sensitive and and we were trying to build them up that hey it's early in the season and all those things that i had mentioned before yep yep and then you know the thing i thought was interesting too you know you the player the parents the ad i'm sure there were steps that were highlighted how that was going to go you know we we very early on, I think it's in our preseason meeting, we talk about, hey, if you don't agree with a role, we would encourage you. Because I think one of the things about athletics, hopefully it's a safe space where kids can advocate for themselves with their coach. If they don't necessarily like the result that they get, then you can involve the parents. Um, if they don't like it in my situation, we can then involve the varsity coach. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't like that, then we can go. But we, we very clearly highlight the chain of command, if you will, yeah. the, the hierarchical structure that you're going to go through and have these conversations. And I, I agree. I think each each step you go up, probably the more black and white you have to be. You know, and, and Nick Saban, I think it was Nick Saban anyway, that mentioned, you know, coaching isn't for those that have thin skin. If you want to be well liked, sell ice cream. Yeah, and you know, coaching is not that way, and unfortunately, it, it's subjective. We try to make it as objective as possible, but it's subjective, and you know, depending upon your style of play and your your philosophy and stuff like that. But yeah, it's 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 a tough business. It really is. But that's part of why, if, if people have strong opinions on it, you know, in Iowa, it takes four classes get your coaching endorsement and and do it your way if you think you can do it better, and maybe they can. Yeah, and and even when we're subjective. You know, I, I tell parents all the time, look, I'm going to make the wrong decision. Uh, I'll call the wrong play. I'll call the wrong defense. I'll make the wrong substitution. More often than not, I'm going to make the right decision. And maybe sometimes the other guy just does something better than us, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with role definition. And I've And I've probably underestimated kids at times, and I've probably overestimated kids at times, without a doubt. Without a doubt that has happened, but 
you know, we're trying to do our best here to, to define this and make it as good as we can for the player and for the team. And, uh, you know, I know you feel the same way, Tony. Uh, I played for a coach uh, a long time ago when I was in high school. Um, and he was a coach that literally only played like six players. And, and some coaches believe in that. Uh, I believe part of helping define roles is especially early in the season, trying to give as many kids as you can a crack. Now, again, with that caveat of you're trying to win the game, especially me as a varsity coach, maybe you're, you know, not as focused. I, I know you still want to win your games as the sophomore coach there at Kennedy, but the pressure to to win the game is probably not as great as, as John's probably looking for development a little bit more. But I like playing a system where we can play eight or nine kids and kids and really give them an active role. And I think that helps with role definition as well. I agree. Um, you know, my first year we had like 30, 40 sophomore boys out and, uh, you know, we were playing 11, 12 kids and it was, it was hard. You know, I felt, I felt for some of the kids just because, you know, depending upon the matchup and this, that, and the other. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's much easier if you can get into about an 11 player rotation. Um, but at the same time, like you said, what part of my thing is, is, you know, more of a development type thing, because even though they are sophomores in high school, most of them anyway, um, you know, we, we don't know guys develop differently and we mm. don't know some may move away some may choose not to go out some yep. may you know get injured whatever the case may be and so it's to provide him as many players to you know with that have been developed to to provide him with options yep yep um i've got one more thing tony how about you yeah i'll let you go and then i'll i'll, I'll dovetail off what you have okay so one other thing that we do as we move into the season and so we, we have the preseason meeting with the minutes thing, and and then we kind of start defining roles, you know, right probably the second week or so. Um, and then early on in the year, and we try to do this about twice a year, but preferably about once a month, is and I got this from, from Doc Rivers. Um, we, we just call it, hey, we're just going to take 15, 10 or 15 minutes, and we're going to go through roll call here. And it's literally a roll call. And I stand in front of the team, whether it's in a locker room or in my classroom or wherever it may be. And I take about 30 seconds and I look at each kid and I say, all right, Tony, uh, this is what we like, what you're doing here. We, we really feel like this. You know, you're shooting the ball great. Keep shooting it. We really, we really want to run stuff for you. And, you know, defensively, this, this, and this. And, and this, is, this is where we see your role at right now. Uh, can you fulfill that role for us? And if, you know, 99.9% of the time they say, you know, yes, coach. Yeah, I, I can do that. You know, um, but what we have found in that, that transparency part of things is, you know, Chad can't say, well, Tony told me that he thought this was his role and I think I, I would be better at that role. But, you know, you're telling me this and then, we literally talk about their roles in front of the team. And and we literally point out everybody's role in front of the team so that there's no confusion from the players that, you know, well, I, I that's what he's telling Tony. Oh, okay, well, well all right. Yeah, I guess I can see where Coach is coming from, that, or whatever their, their concept or idea may be. And that, I believe, has helped us with our roles because – 
there's no real secrets because we're saying it in front of everybody. And, you know, when you get down to like, let's say player 10, 11, 12, hey, you know, Billy, we really need you to just continue to practice well. We love what you're doing in practice here. Yeah, we haven't been able to find you a lot of minutes at varsity games yet, but believe me, we've noticed how hard you've worked on your footwork and your physicality is coming along. Keep doing this and this and the JV games and, you know, whatever. We, we And we try to find good stuff to talk about with every kid, but at the same time being realistic about their role. And, and then if we need to follow up with, you know, a, a kind of a side conversation, a quiet one-on-one with something, uh, if we read the body language and we, and we think that maybe somebody might have taken something the wrong way, we try to follow up as quickly as we can with that to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And, and I think by being fully transparent in front of the team and talking about everybody's role in front of the entire team, I think that helps clarify things in a lot of different ways. I like that. We, we do it a little bit different. We call ours put-ups. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things I tell them is that, you know, put-downs happen all the time to stand out in the a school hallway um, and listen to peers talk to each other. But mm-hmm. we really try to make sure uh, after practice, and we don't do it often, we want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's meaningful when it happens. But we do it probably once every two or three weeks. We're just some put-ups. And I try to make sure it's more like teammate-focused where the te- they say it about each other. And then when I try to jump in and do my put-ups or roll call or whatever you want to call it, is normally after a game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and like sometimes you, know, you, you highlight the, the guys that, that do what they need to do, that get the job done. And then one of the things that we really try to do, too, is with our bench, we'll talk about them in terms of a variety of things. You know, we want you to come in and we want you to provide a, a difference. You know, we don't, we're not looking for you to go in and just maintain. We want you to go in there and make a difference. And, and you know, whether it's pick the tempo up or lead us on a run or whatever the case may be. And then we also talk about our bench energy mm-hmm. and make sure that we highlight those kids. That's one of the things I, I do what's called a game note, positive game note with them yeah. uh, where I'll watch the film type up positive game notes and send that. And I make sure, you know, sometimes it's, Hey, great job. I loved how our bench erupted when we made this hustle play in the third quarter. Or Hey, uh, it looks like our bench is pretty dead. Um, there's not a lot going on. We need to make sure that we're in it for each other and not just in it for the me, because that's the big part of team sports is you have to sacrifice the me for the we. Yeah. And we do stuff like that. Like at the end of every game, we have our awards, we have our Windex woman, we have our, lunch pail and we, and we have a Benergy. Uh, we have a, a packet of batteries, energizer batteries, you know, who gave the most energy to the team on the bench tonight, you know, to keep everybody mm-hmm. involved. So different things like that, I think are really, really good. And, you know, it's not just practice that everybody has a role. Everybody has a role during the game. And if, and if you've got a uniform on, or if you're sitting on that bench, we expect you to have a role that is going to help us, uh, put, help put us in the best position that we possibly can to win that ball game that night. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. You know who else knows their role, Tony? Europe, and that's to be the most dominant rock band ever.
you betcha they are. I uh, I was in class today. My students were working on an assignment, and I I turn on music uh, while they're working sometimes, and most of them put their earbuds in because they hate my music. So whatever. Uh, and the final countdown came on, and I just kind of giggled to myself, like, ah, "All right, here we go. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about." So um, I have a trivia question ready, Tony. All right. Are you ready for it? I think you're going to get it. Oh, I'll see. All right. Uh, With the FIBA World Cup opening up here uh, in the next, uh, about a week or so, I thought we'd go with an international basketball question. The first time that the United States was ever defeated in the Olympics was, of course, in 1972, very controversially by the Russians, by the Soviets. Uh, Three chances with two seconds left to win the game, and on the third time it finally went in, so forth and so on. The United States was actually down with two seconds left until this player stepped up and knocked down two clutch free throws with two seconds left to give the United States that particular one-point lead. Tony, do you know what player that was? Oh, boy. I want to say Doug Collins. It's a good thing you said Doug Collins because that is correct, my friend. Talk about I don't bringing know the if heat. I could have named another. Part of team. <laughs> I don't think it was a very good team that year. I think, I think uh, Henry Iba was the coach, and I and it was a bunch of guys that I I don't think I've ever heard from ever again. I can do a quick, uh, you know, the greatest website in the history of mankind, uh, um, Olympic basketball team. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think it was our best group uh, that was that was playing at that time. So, um, you know, uh, the roster here. Let's see. Let's find the U.S. Mike Bantam, uh, Tom well, Tom Burleson. Um, okay, heard of him. Yeah, Tom McMillan, which later on became mm-hmm. a U.S. senator. Uh, that's about it. Uh, so yeah, definitely not our most talented team that we had ever sent uh to the olympics so um but hey you got it right buddy coming off at nash vegas um you just come in bring in the heat and and you you did it and you did it well my friend so well done thanks sir yeah speaking of well done how about that yes tony it is time for our twib segment here this week in basketball i've got Three things to talk about here. I don't know about you, but uh, I got three things. Um, thought we'd start with a little WNBA action. Would that be cool? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, we had the big Aces versus the Liberty matchup, which I predicted that the uh, Aces were going to win. And uh, obviously, uh, that, that motivated the Liberty as they beat them two in a row. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the, the Liberty were listening to our podcast. Doggone Brianna Stewart. <laughs> Brianna says, I want to thank Tony Viss and Marty Plum for the motivation we needed to win tonight's <laughs> game. So, uh, yeah, not, not only one, well, they killed them on that Sunday. They beat them by like 38. Yeah. And then they came back the other night and beat them again by, uh, I think it was double figures. Uh, it was almost 20. Yeah, so uh, things are getting spicy a little bit here. So I think they play again tonight. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, okay. I think it's on Prime Video, if I remember correctly. Okay. 
might have to check that out. Uh, definitely. Well, if I, if I can find it, I will check it out here. So, um, yeah, things closing a little bit at the top of the WNBA standings. Uh, a, a few chinks in the armor of the Las Vegas Aces. Um, and the, and the, the, the Liberty are starting to gel a little bit, um, as, as we move forward here. And then of course, nipping at the heels of both, uh, uh, at the Liberty is the Connecticut sun. They're 21 and nine. And then there's a pretty big drop off after that. So, uh, Connecticut would kind of like to make it a three team race, but, uh, yeah, the, the Liberty are making things a little bit more interesting. I would think in the, the power rankings, you're going to see the Liberty, after having beat them the last two, and depending upon how tonight goes, mm-hmm. um, I think you'll see Li- the Liberty make the jump ahead of them in the power rankings. But the thing that it, it kind of emphasizes to me a little bit is how much the Aces are missing Candace Park. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about their lack of depth, and, w- and when she went down, uh, it was going to take some adjustments. It was going to take some adjustments, and uh, yeah, they're definitely missing her, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, um Hall of Fame inductions this last weekend, Tony, while you were in Nash Vegas, uh, a, a power-packed class of 2023. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, Paul Gasol, and Dwayne Wade. That's a that's that's a pretty good lineup right there, my friend. Yeah, and then you got Pop being put in there, Becky Hammond. Yep. It was it was an elite night of, as far as the class. Mm-hmm. Rank those four. And who you enjoyed, like most entertaining to least entertaining? Dirk, uh, Tony Parker, Pau Gasol, and D Wade. Tony, I I really like Dwayne Wade's game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the getting to the rim, uh, the ability to go right or left. I would I would put him at one. Uh-huh. I'd probably go Dirk at two. You mm-hmm. know, you take a look at that one footed jumper, the fadeaway that he that he mastered. Yep. Um, that that really has transform the game if you don't believe it watch Jokic that's a lot of what he does yep um you know so I would put him at two um you know and then I would probably say uh Tony Parker at three Mm -hmm. you know uh, I really enjoyed watching him as a point guard uh the way that he you know was a later round pick I want to say it was like the 28th pick in the draft if I remember correctly Yep. yep um but his ability to to pass it and score it and the speed that he played at uh, I just really impressed with him, and I, I love Powell as well. Uh, Lakers are my favorite sports franchise uh, in the NBA, um, but as far as things go, I mean Kobe. I really loved watching him play. Lamar Odom, Powell was kind of that missing piece. You know, after they kind of blew things up with with trade and Shaq, yeah. he was that missing piece that came in there. And uh, you know, I, I think he would be even a better fit in today's NBA with the way that the the big man's production and, and what they expect a big man to do has changed yeah uh i would flip one and two there i really loved watching dirk and just you know the face up the footwork the pull-up jays you know stretching the floor and that type of thing not to say i didn't really love watching d wade you know prime d wade you know that two, 2010 2011 stretch with him and lebron flying around at, both of them at their kind of their peak athletic powers was so impressive to watch and then watching parker be the maestro of the spurs and then and then all but i mean just just four incredible players uh you know pop coming in and i said becky ham i mean just what a what an incredible weekend for basketball and uh just a just a great thing so did you uh listen to d wade's speech with his dad yes i i watched it i i watched Holy i watched cow. the clip yeah pretty powerful <laughs> that was powerful and then becky hammond's speech what she said about pop 
Um, I missed that. What did she say? I'm sorry. Just the fact that, you know, he was the first one to to offer her that job, you know, to bring a woman onto his staff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, other teams have done it since, but he was the first one. And if you take a look at Pop and what he's done in the NBA as far as his coaching tree and stuff like that, it really is phenomenal. And then he talked about how much she was coaching. I can't remember. I think it was the summer league team uh, the first time she coached that for him. He sent her a text. You're going to be great. Just be you. Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot that, you know, just seeing that and what he did for her. But also it reminded me like when John added my daughter, Ashley, on our staff, and she coaches freshman boys and eighth grade boys at the our main junior high feeder. It just kind of reminded me a little bit of that as well. So that one really was, was also powerful for me, for me also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I do remember her taking over their, their summer league team and I believe they won the summer league championship and yeah, it was it's uh it's 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 a, a great story and, and Pop has been an, an innovator, not not afraid to speak his mind, to, to shake to, to, to shake the tree a little bit. And uh yeah, we just really enjoy that. So uh last thing I had, Tony, was our, our FIBA team, uh the World Cup team, they're three and O. Uh, had a good win over Spain, uh, one by ten. Uh, a little bit of a red flag. We shot sixty-seven percent from the field, and only one by ten points. So that makes me a little bit apprehensive, a little bit nervous. Uh, but you know, three and zero. I really like what uh, Brunson has done. Jalen Brunson, he's playing really, really well. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton has been absolutely awesome. And and Mikhail Bridges, I'm just a huge Mikhail Bridges fan. I loved him when he was at Villanova. Uh, I think he's a terrific professional player. And, and so those three guys have been a highlight. They've got two exhibition games left against Greece and Germany uh, before we hit the World Cup for real. Uh, I believe it'll be next Friday the 25th, I think, is their opening game. So, uh, you know, good stuff for the United States so far. Yeah, the, the FIBA team, to me, you know, a lot of people always... Oh, we're lacking some star power and I don't know. I, I, I really think when everything's said and done, you know, Kyrie Irving is a, is a great talent, mm-hmm. but I really think the Dallas Mavericks are going to continue to rue the day that they, they lost Jalen Brunson. I yeah. just, I love his game, the way that he's continued to take it up, up and up each year. It seems like he's taken another jump here with his international play. Um, I know Anthony Edwards has kind of been like the stock market a little bit with yeah. them. Some really good moments, some not so good moments. Uh, you know, but I, I think he's when when things are said and done, I think he's going to be their best scorer, their leading scorer on the team. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, it's crazy. A, a kid that played, you know, a season or two at Iowa State, yep. and what he's doing on that level now. Um, you know, and I, I really think they're going to they're going to bring home the gold medal. I know you mentioned the Spain game potentially being a red flag. Uh, the game was in Spain, yeah. and if I remember correctly, I, I think it was pretty one sided with the officiating. Oh uh, yes, yes, yeah. favoring the, the Spanish team. Uh, so so that part will be interesting. And then another thing, you're starting to see some different guys either not play or go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porzingis is not going to play. Plantar fasciitis, and then uh, Jamal Murray is just. Yep burned out and tired so he left the canadian team and i know that canada was was considered to be the t- the top threat to the u.s I, don't get me wrong so other good teams that could beat them 
but anytime you lose a piece like Jamal Murray, that's going to weaken you, your squad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is this is the tune-up for the Olympics, without a doubt. Uh, if you're Jamal Murray, you're more worried about the Olympics than you are the World Cup. Uh, kind of the opposite of what it is in in European football. The other coach, uh, the other sport you coach, Tony. You know the the, mm-hmm. the World Cup's bigger than the Olympics. True. Uh, uh, but yeah, I like this team. Yeah, for us, I, you know, talking about role definition. You know, Walker Kessler and Bobby Porras didn't play as much. Uh, Bancaro, uh, Josh Hart's kind of seems like he's guy number number ten, uh, and, and then he's kind of rolling with this nine man rotation of Bancaro, Bridges, Brunson, Edwards, Halliburton. Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Cam Johnson getting some good minutes, and, and Austin Reeves, uh, you know, talking about NBA stuff. The Lakers got a steal with him. They signed him for that four-year max for only about $13 million a year. Uh, he's been awfully impressive. I really like the way he plays basketball. So, um, yeah, I like the way this team is coming together. Again, uh, two more warm-ups before they start playing for real, and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I, I like the fact that even though it's not basketball season per se, there's still some good basketball on right now. If you're a hoop junkie like what we are, uh, you can definitely get your basketball fix uh, on, a, on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, yeah. We've got problems, without a doubt. We've, we've got problems. We've known that for about 25 years, Tony. Maybe longer. Maybe, maybe longer. <laughs> maybe longer. So, uh, Anything else on roles today, buddy? You know, I really like the way that you define it in terms of, you know, the, the four words that you put out there, you know, and I think that's good to continue to share. And then roll call, those those were two really good ideas. If coaches don't get anything else out of this, and they may not, those are the two big takeaways I would get is the, the four-word phrase you have and then that roll call thing. I think those were, were gold. Yeah, and, and with that roll call thing, you know, like I said, you got to be careful. You just can't go in guns of blazes and, and, and that type of thing. But, uh, again, the transparency of it is is good so that everybody hears the same thing and uh, everybody's on equal footing, and, and, and we try to do it that way. And, and, and sometimes it comes off better than it does others, but I would hesitate. Uh, it, it's never come off poorly, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you know, most of the time it really helps us. And, uh, you know, that part of it is dependent on the chemistry of your team and and the mental makeup of your team. And so we use it. We think it's a good thing. I will continue to use it and, and hopefully it continues to work out well for us. So, and and one other thing I would throw out there too, Marty, if, if people want to get a little bit more in depth on this stuff, uh, just starting to read a book, uh, it's called the twin thieves. Uh, by Steve Jones and Lucas Jaden, uh, does a great job of kind of highlighting what we're talking about here uh, and giving specific strategies and stuff. But it's it was uh, a book that I started to read in preparation for this uh, conversation tonight. And uh, there's, there's a ton of good things in it that I'm looking forward to trying to implement. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, great stuff from Tony. Tony, as always, episode 51, Role Definition. Like I say, if you have any questions for Tony or I, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, we're, we're here to help, and, and this is why we do what we do. So, uh, Coach, hope you appreciate it. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 